0: My name is Travis Earl. It's my privilege to speak this morning. Um, I've titled the message this morning, The Helpless and the Help. The Helpless and the Help. When I was um, six, I think, I-, I used to suffer from nightmares as a kid. And one of the worst, in particular, was um, I could remember like every little bit of it waking up walking out of my, at nighttime, out of my dark bedroom, into the bathroom, which was lit. Don't know why this was there. This is dreamland, mind you. An orange Tupperware bowl (laughs) full of dollar bills. I don't know, different denominations, whatever. But I reach in and pull out a bill that is defaced. It is torn, and the torn parts are missing, so it would not work. And I cannot describe to you how I felt in that moment. It was one of the worst nightmares because I knew it was wrong. And I wasn't sure if I had done it. Someone else had done it. But it was so wrong. And I was so helpless. It wasn't a boogeyman. It wasn't a monster. It wasn't anything else. It was just wrong. I just knew it. Even as a kid. I don't know if anybody else can identify with that. (laughs) But it's it's interesting how even at the earliest ages we had that sense of injustice and helplessness in front of that injustice this time of year we we always as a family watch it's a wonderful life um fair warning spoiler alert if you haven't seen it's a wonderful life i'm going to use parts of that movie in this <laughs> message and i'm sorry too bad you should have seen it already <laughs> like, so, um, but the reality is i think it's interesting i was just talking to a colleague at work uh, Thursday, and she had watched it with someone who had never seen it before, and her friend absolutely hated it the whole way through until the end when everyone comes in and pours all the money in front of George and richest man in town, and then she 's bawling like a complete mess right so but I think there 's something that we all it, it, we gravitate towards that because we can identify in a very deep, profound way the human experience of Recognizing injustice, recognizing helplessness in the face of that injustice. When George comes to Potter, the scurvy spider Potter, please, Mister Potter, I need the help. I've misplaced eight thousand dollars. The helpless. Maybe some of you, you know, we arrived this morning, don't really resonate with that helpless bit. I'm feeling pretty good. I've worked hard. You know, I'm comfortable, healthy, working, and praise God for that. But I think the reality is if we really, really look and we really, really consider, how much do we control? What is in our control? What's to keep us from feeling helpless. Ultimately. Well, the Bible has a lot to say about this. In fact, the whole story of God's engagement with us is about this. But today we're going to look at Psalm chapter 10, which is a lament. So I invite you, if you have your Bible or if you have it on your app, you can turn. We're going to read Psalm chapter 10 together and then talk briefly about one key verse in that psalm. And I promise you, I'll bend it to Christmas. I will, because it's not hard to do. All right, if you're with me, we can read Psalm 10. This is God's word to us. Lord, why do you stand so far away? Why do you hide in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked relentlessly pursue their victims. Let them be caught in the schemes they've devised. For the wicked one boasts about his own cravings. The one who is greedy curses and despises the Lord. In all his scheming, the wicked person arrogantly thinks there is no accountability since there is no God. His ways are always secure. Your lofty judgments have no effect on him. He scoffs at all his adversaries. He says to himself, I'll never be moved. From generation to generation without calamity, cursing, deceit, and violence fill his mouth. Trouble and malice are under his tongue. He waits in ambush near settlements. He kills the innocent in secret places. His eyes are on the lookout for the helpless. He lurks in secret like a lion in a thicket. He lurks in order to seize a victim. He seizes a victim and drags him in his net. So he's oppressed and beaten down. Helpless people fall because of the wicked one's strength. Verse 11. He says to himself, God has forgotten. He hides his face and will never see. Rise up, Lord God. Lift up your hand. Do not forget the oppressed. Why has the wicked person despised God? He says to himself, You will not demand an account. But you yourself have seen trouble and grief, observing it in order to take the matter into your hands. The helpless one entrusts himself to you. You're a helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked, evil person until you look for his wickedness, but it can't be found. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations will perish from his land. Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will strengthen their hearts. You will listen carefully, doing justice for the fatherless and the oppressed, so that mere humans from the earth may terrify them no more. Pray with me this morning. Lord, help us to hear. Lord, help us open our eyes, open our hearts, open our ears to your word, to your truth that gives us life. God, we need you. We need you. We always need you. We need you in this moment to hear what you have to say to each of us. Spirit, be at work. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Psalm 10 is a lament. It is a cry, and it starts with a cry. Lord, why do you stand so far away? A a whole message could be given just on that verse. Is that not an expression of the human condition? Does that not capture in a verse when we feel helpless, when we have experienced injustice, whatever that is, there it is. Why? Where? What? Lord, where are you? So many examples. And I know whatever you're thinking about now, that's that's the example. I don't need to list them all we know we can quickly jump to personal experience, what we observe, friends, family, and sometimes that's very painful this time of season, this time of year. Um, Just talking to friends and family who've lost family members, and this is their first Christmas without one or more family members. Why? Where's the Lord? I, I wonder, when we read this psalm, and we think about it, again, deep down there's a shared human experience, a profound and shared human experience of helplessness in the face of injustice. But I really want to focus in, in particular, on where this psalm pivots. And where it pivots, besides the fact that the psalmist is addressing God in the first place, which is an expression of faith, is verse 14. So, you, I think I have verse fourteen on the screen, In particularly this is where we're going to hone in. It says, "But you yourself have seen trouble and grief, observing it in order to take the matter into your hands." God Himself sees. So, whenever this profound experience of human helplessness and shared experience, it raises very deep questions: Is God there? Does He see? Does He care? And this psalm addresses that for us directly. You yourself have seen trouble and grief. There's our answer. Yes, yes, he does see. Okay? It sings only part of the way. What are you going to do about it? Does he care? Well, it says, observing it, the trouble and the grief, the ESV says mischief and vexation. And mischief didn't mean playing around. It meant wickedness. Observing it in order to take the matter into your hands. What does that mean? Taking the matter into your hands. So the summary points, I think the next chart, Jordan, will be this. Very, very simple. God sees and God acts. That's just a fundamental truth and it's so easy. I was literally working on the notes and I just thought, but this is it. This is what's in the scripture. He sees and he acts. Brothers and sisters, church family and friends, if you're not yet believers, this is true of God. He does see, he does act. It may not match our experience, and we'll talk about that. But our faith cannot, um, we can't can't be, what good is our faith if we can't confront these truths and our mismatch of our experience? Not much. But God's not a, a, um, intimidated by our collective experience. In fact, He's going to take matters into His own hands to address it. So He does see. The Scripture affirms He sees. He acts. God sees. He acts. The psalmist started. Why do you hide? Verse one. Why do you hide your face? Because it feels like that many times, doesn't it? It feels like He's hiding. It feels like He doesn't see. It feels like we're helpless and alone. But it's not true. It's not true in the ultimate sense, is it? God sees. God acts. And how in particular does he act? Well, the psalm is full of language referencing injustice. And so the presumption is that God is going to act to enact justice. Justice in some form. Isaiah 59 says... The Lord saw that there was no justice, and He was offended. He saw there was no man; He was amazed that there was no one interceding. So His own arm brought salvation, and His own righteousness supported Him. It's just an echo in a different part of Scripture, in a a, different—it's—it's prophecy. It's Isaiah, Psalms is a song, but it's the same truth. God sees and He acts he will do justice. But let me let me pause here and ask you a question and this will get a little uncomfortable. Do we really want God to see and to act? Do we really want his justice fully and completely? It's easy when we're reading through the psalm, and the context of it is very specifically addressing the injustice exerted by others on an innocent, to a certain extent. Which is why it it very naturally led me to, well, It's it's a Wonderful Life is a great example of that. Because here you have George Bailey, time and time and time again, serving, selfless, giving up, you know, gives his, you know, let his brother go to college. Stays and takes on the building alone. You know, it's time, again and again and he's putting himself in that position and then the ultimate the end of the movie is the loss of the money and it wasn't his fault it was his goofy uncle being forgetful Just you know pile and pile of injustice so so my question though i come back to the question do we really want just was justice enacted in that movie you Ever wonder about that what happened to potter you get to keep the money talked to all kinds of people, and there's all kinds of memes online, too, about Potter getting it. <laughs> like, everybody wants to see Potter get justice, right? We always want to see somebody else get justice. But what about us? I noticed last night when we were watching, it never stuck out to me the fact that George balled out Mrs. Welch unjustly. And of course, he gets the old right in the kisser in uh, Martinis, right? You guys are, everybody's following me, right? <laughs> he, well, they're out for an hour. She cried for an hour. Boom, right there. That's the answer to prayer. Look. So, you know, but my, my point is it's very, very easy for us to pile on, a, yes, Lord, see, yes, Lord, act justice when it's not pointed at us. I um, was a valet um, to try to get cash when I was cash poor in college. I'm sure college students can identify. Um, Worked down in Bethesda, and I remember, uh, you know, we'd go, typically it would be evenings, we'd be working. And, um, you know, that was an interesting experience. Most of your money in valet parking is the tips. You're going to make by tips, right? So people will tip you. And I I learned very quickly that the people that drove the Mercedes and the, I don't think I ever did a Ferrari. It would have been amazing. But, um, you know, the the high end, you were not going to get good tips. The real tips came from people who drove the Hondas and like, you know, Chevys, Um, which was amazing. Anyway, (laughs) I digress. Um, I I went to, ran to get this uh, older couple's car, and there were four, I remember very distinctly. And it was a Buick, and I was backing out of the garage before I didn't recognize that I was scraping the driver's side of the car along a cement pillar, Until it hit the driver's mirror and cracked it visibly to me, then I realized what I had done because I, for whatever reason, didn't hear it on the whole side. It hurts. It still hurts. Yeah, it does. Oh, but it gets worse. It gets worse. I drove that car back and I opened both of the doors to let them in, and they tipped me. And then I closed the doors and they drove off. Do I want justice? And I share that. I know it's, it sounds trivial compared to many other examples. And believe me, I had many others I could share um, that are... But that's one of the most shameful moments in my life that I did that, that I was unjust to someone else over dollars. So when we read a psalm like this and we recognize, yeah, Lord, yes, we want justice. Oh, do we? you know what we need along with justice? We need mercy. We need mercy. Now we're like out of the realm, folks. Who can bring justice and mercy? Who can do it right? Who can do it completely? Who really understands how to address all of that? Only God. Only God. And so here's the pivot to Christmas. Here it comes. Remember Zechariah a couple weeks ago? John the Baptist, Zechariah, Gabriel comes. Hey, you're going you're, you're gonna to have a child. This is going to happen. Zechariah's like, I don't believe it. I've been suffering injustice. It's unjust that we can't have kids. Can't believe it, even though he knew Abraham, all these others. So here we have Zechariah, Luke chapter 1. Because of our God's merciful compassion... The dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death, those who are helpless, those who suffer under injustice, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Echoes Isaiah 9. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. In this Christmas season, people around the world those who are followers of Christ and believers and many who are not. And I welcome both. I I hope there are many here, even this morning, especially this afternoon, who haven't yet put their trust in Christ. Why do we gather? Why do we gather to celebrate this? It's not just a cultural thing. It's not just a cultural event. And Eric did such a great job walking us through that last week. We are gathering to celebrate something that is absolutely unique and distinct from every other World religion and every other philosophical system and hope. Do you know what that is? History is full of men who would be gods, but only one God who would be a man. You push every other... I don't like it when Christianity gets looped in to other world religions. It is not anything like them because of this. This is the core of our faith, and this is what we celebrate at Christmas. We gather at Christmas to celebrate the birth of the God become man, Jesus Christ. And it's not just his birth, he's born as a helpless baby in an obscure and dirty stable, in a backwater village, in a conquered country, observing it to take the matter into his own hands. That's not what I would have expected I would have expected the strong arm of the Isaiah 59. Where is that? And in fact, that's what many of the leaders were looking for, weren't they? But you have to have the angels announcing the shepherds. Come look. See the baby wrapped in cloths. This is your hope. This helpless one is your hope. That's the paradox of Christmas. The paradox of Christmas is that to help the helpless... God himself became helpless. This is how he took matters into his own hands. Psalm, 14, Psalm 10, 14. This is how. What? I think we need to just step back and pause and wonder. Mild he lays his glory by. What? Have you ever imagined what Jesus left to assume this place? Like, really thought about it. What was it like? Just stunning, stunning, stunning. But, of course, this is not where the story ends. We know Jesus grows. He lives. It was interesting. We were talking, um, at, we had a Christmas um, dinner my family we, every year we get together and my dad read a devotional uh last night and was the, the devotional one of the key um points that he was highlighting was how john the baptist when he was in elizabeth's womb and hears mary's voice the baby in my womb leaps and the point of the devotional was like in effect the entirety of the old testament leapt and now here's the answer here is God taking the matter into his own hands, right? But then it occurred to me after he was ready, I was just thinking, and then 30 plus years go by and nothing. Very little that we know of in Scripture. We we know so little about did John know Jesus? Were they hanging out? So Jesus grows and he enters into ministry, he's baptized. 30 years on, you know, there's multiple examples in so many different areas that one of the things in putting this together, you just realize how tightly the scripture is tied together. There are so many ways. And so it's just, again, it's a quick kind of side application. When you are reading scripture, follow those threads just let the Spirit move you and just follow. It's so amazing. There's just, it's so rich. It's so rich to so think about it, Think deeply about it. So one example here is Matthew 9. It says, when Jesus saw the crowds, remember we're talking about God sees and God acts. So here is God made flesh, and he's seeing. He saw the crowds, and he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd, to do justice to these oppressed, Jesus himself is going to suffer the ultimate oppression. Hebrews tells us that he was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Think about that. No one has suffered that kind of oppression and injustice and challenge. And it, Hebrews goes on to tell us that he learned obedience through what he suffered. Does God see? Does he know? Yes. Yes. He doesn't just see, he knows experientially. Because he put himself, he condescended, he came down. Philippians 2 summarizes this so well. Though he was in the form of God, did not count, speaking of Jesus, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. So there we have the incarnation. There we have Christmas. But then the very next verse, the only thing more helpless than a baby in a manger is a man on the cross. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The one who saw the sheep without shepherd, helpless and harassed, becomes like them and Isaiah 53 tells us is led like a lamb to the slaughter helpless this is how god takes the matter into his own hands this is how he responds and he acts so listen to these verses here quick snippets through scripture but powerful psalm 88 afflicted and close to death from my youth i suffer your terrors i am helpless Psalm 10, again, verse 14 out of the ESV highlights, to you the helpless commits himself. So then we hear Jesus in Luke 23. It was now about the sixth hour. There was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour when the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus calling out with a loud voice says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The helpless commits himself to you. Jesus is doing what he's calling us to do, but he's doing in a way that we could never have done. This is our God. This is our God. He sees, he acts when no one else would, when no one else could. He brings perfect justice and perfect mercy all at once. And the irony and the paradox is he does it in the middle of the most helpless. And the most weak, and arguably the greatest injustice of all time. Right there, that's how God acts. That's how God responds. The Word made flesh, the babe, the Son of Mary, nails, spear shall pierce him through. The cross be born for me, for you. So, family, friends, How do we respond? Hebrews 13 says very simply, so we can confidently say the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Romans 8, again from last week, what then shall we say to these things? Family, what shall we say to these truths? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How we need not also with him graciously give us all things. How indeed. Brothers and sisters, here is our hope and our help. Here alone is our hope and our help. Even if you are not yet a follower of Christ, let me urge you. This and this alone is your hope and your help. So this Christmas time, remember, our great helper became helpless to help us. So... No situation is so hopeless. No circumstance so dire. Nothing is beyond his reach because he himself has observed the matter to take it into his own hands by becoming a helpless baby born in a manger for us. But then that baby grew and he died on the cross for us, taking God's wrath, taking God's righteous and furious justice Jesus didn't just address the injustice done to us. He addressed our injustice. And he extended mercy in a way that no one else could. No one else would. So, brothers and sisters, let me just encourage you. We'll, we'll, we'll end where we began. Psalm ten fourteen. It says that the helpless one entrusts himself to you. You are a helper of the fatherless. So, in a word that's my encouragement to you today entrust yourself to him if you are 20 plus years now a follower of christ a believer entrust yourself to him entrust yourself to him over outcomes of your circumstances i'm not trying to minimize your circumstances we heard uh, some words a a couple weeks ago um jack and some others were, were just pointing out hey Be careful that your hope is not so much in the outcome and resolution of whatever you're currently struggling with, whether that would be a health issue or finding a job, um, you name it. Those are things that we bring and the Lord knows we need them. But we seek him first. We entrust ourselves to him because he has perfectly enacted justice and mercy for us. That is our hope. And guys, this isn't our home. So when we live that way, we are reflecting that truth to those who are watching and people are watching. Do you know what's amazing? Is when someone bears up under unjust suffering. I think that's partly why we so like It's a Wonderful Life. Because he he bore it and at the end, it's like, yeah. So entrust yourself. Entrust yourself to him. And trust yourself and treasure the fact that God enacted perfect justice and perfect mercy for you, for me, for the whole world. That's why we celebrate. That's why we celebrate Christmas. Let me pray, and then we will close. Father, we thank you for this truth. We thank you that you you do see Lord, but you do act. You observed our grief and our suffering and the helplessness that we face, Lord. And you took the matter in your own hands very, very literally. That's what we celebrate this season, Lord. I pray that that would powerfully impact each of us, God, that we would, that we would not take for granted and that even amongst us, that there's some who have not yet put faith completely in you, Lord, that, that would be, this would be the time this season, this truth would just be penetrating hearts, Lord. Lord, there is no one beside you to help those without strength. So help us, Lord our God, for we depend on you. We depend on you. Hear, Lord, and be merciful to us and be our helper, as you have for all time. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Amen.